Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Carol Dean is a producer as well as the author of The Art of Film Funding, Second Edition, and The Art of Manifesting, Creating Your Future. Her executive producer credits are BAM 6.6, Women Behind the Camera, Step Away from the Stone, American Chain Gang, and more on IMDb. Carol is an entrepreneur who created and ran a film business in Hollywood, New York City, and Chicago for 33 years. She sold it in 2001. She created the Roy Dean Film Grant in 1992 and has given over $2,500,000 in grants to independent filmmakers and helped to produce over 50 films. Carol is currently the president of From the Heart Productions, a 501c3 nonprofit, where she manages the grant and fiscal sponsorships for the nonprofit, and she teaches intentional film funding with Tom Malloy through FromTheHeartProductions.com. Welcome to the show, Carol. Well, thank you, Claire. What a, it's so kind of you to give me such a great introduction. I sincerely appreciate yes. it. It's well, interesting to you sit know, and hear uh, your lots run by. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> well, you know, we're talking about the art of manifesting, and this is the subject of the show today. And this is part two of your three-part series, which we will have the next show next week for part three. And in the last show, we touched a little bit on how you met Robert Monroe, the author of Journeys Out of the Body, Far Journeys, and The Ultimate Journey. And I understand he started the Monroe Institute of Applied Science in Virginia, right? Yes, he did years ago. Um, He's a charming man, very soft-spoken, and he just had this ability that he could just lay down, get really relaxed and comfortable, and bang, he could put his body, he could lower his brain waves. So he went down between Theta and Delta where you're almost dead sleep. In other words, he could put his body to sleep and then his mind could take off and leave the body. It's consciousness, really. And he could travel anywhere. So um, here's what happened. I'd been working in my New York office and I'd had a stressful day. As you know, working with filmmakers at the time we were 35 and 16 millimeter film stock and it can be harrowing with people on location needing raw stock etc so I went to bed and I just I was overtired I guess <clears throat> and the next thing I know it was totally out of my body my consciousness had jumped out of the body I was at the top of the ceiling looking down at my body and I said, and in my mind, I had my mind so I could 
move myself around the room from corner to corner, and it was so much fun. It was just think of a place, and you were there. And I, I thought, oh, my gosh, I can get across town in a blink. I don't have to take a taxi. And I started to laugh, and I went crashing back into my body. So the next morning I called my girlfriend in London, Brandwin Edwards, and I said, Brandy, I think I'm having um, – some kind of a breakdown. I mean, what is it like to have a nervous breakdown? I don't know, but I think this is it. <laughs> so she said, oh, no, no, no. You're very lucky. She said, a lot of people try hard to have that happen. I said, I, I really, I can't believe that. But called the Monroe Institute. She said, "You, what you want to do is go down there and meet Robert and study with them because people go there to learn how to do what you just did. So uh, I said, okay, Mm -hmm. and I got on the phone, found out that they have these classes, so I went down right after that and learned about Robert and his incredible talent, and what he did was he put together what he called check units. Now, this is back in the 70s before any of us were concerned with uh, electronic uh, frequencies with the EMFs or Wi-Fi. We didn't have Wi-Fi then, but we had electronic frequencies floating around. Well, Robert had built check units that were lead shielded so that there was no interference, no electronic energy could come into them. They were three-sided, <clears throat> and then the fourth side was a little black curtain that you could draw the curtain and jump in your bed and closed the curtain, and it was a total deprivation. It was They were almost soundproof, and you had no sight, and uh, Robert gave you headphones to put on. And this is what he had discovered, and he called it hemisync, with the understanding that the brain has two parts, and they both operate independently. Robert's goal was to join the two because when you can connect the two sides of the brain, you can zoom out of your body. You can reach your higher consciousness. Wonderful things happen. So what he had done, he created a sound recording uh, so that one ear got uh, one signal, say, at 50 hertz, and the other ear got another signal at 60 And the brain can't handle this with the distortion. So the brain merges the two. And that's Mm. when the hemisync is created so that you can get really relaxed. And you end up listening to him. And he talks you into a relaxed state. And he makes you memorize in the beginning. Your concept is that I'm greater than my physical body. That's the first thing you have to learn and believe, that there's more to you. And you really are. You are spirit, or better to say, consciousness in a physical body. So that consciousness never dies. That's always with you. When you leave here, You, your mm-hmm. consciousness goes with you. But the idea is to free the consciousness from the body so that it can travel around and do things and see things and uh, get answers for you and explore the universe. And nowadays, now that we know more about the quantum field, we understand that the quantum field is the recorder of all things past and present. So it is a, a living library, if you'd like to call it that. So through the quantum field and your higher self and your ability to get 
your consciousness out of your body, you have this freedom to go to all of these places. So we would get very relaxed, and he would take us down. And then uh, the interesting thing is I studied with him for five years, and I got so good at getting totally relaxed and being able to, I guess you would call it, meditate and get into states of consciousness where I could ask questions and get answers. Um, But I never got that... um, out-of-the-body experience until one more time when I was at Roberts. I was running, and I was running, and I was very tired. And all of a sudden, I could hear somebody running next to me, and they were belabored and breathing very hard. And I thought, who is that? And I turned around to look, and there was nobody there. That was me. I was out of my body because I was breathing so hard that consciousness just popped out and let the body run the rest of the way. But uh, I will say that that is a talent, learning how to get the body asleep and the mind awake. What I did learn was that this great field of knowledge is out there for all of us. And once you get very relaxed, you can ask questions, get answers, go places, see things in your mind's eye that are real. And this is why... I went to uh, started meditating. From working with Robert, I realized that to keep that in that continuous connection with the universal mind, I needed quiet time every day. So I started meditating twice a day. Twice a day back then, I took on transcendental meditation as a way to train myself, uh, and that's what got me through running three offices and uh, having a wonderful time in the film industry. Wow, Carol, you always have such amazing stories, and I know that you use these things that you learn, in it's applied in everything that you do, especially in a lot of the teachings that you talk about in your book, The Art of Manifesting. And one of the things you put a lot of emphasis on is determination as a major trait to achieve your goals. And one story in particular that really stands out that goes along with this is your cheerleader story. Will you share about this with us? (laughs) Okay. Well, that was, I had had some wonderful experiences early on in my life with the universe. And so I firmly believed that, that there was something else. I always felt we were protected and watched over and cared for. And, um, but I didn't know to, to what extent, and I really didn't know how to use or work with those forces until uh, this uh, summer, one summer in Texas. My best girlfriend's name was Nell, and she was a ton of fun. We both loved to study. We were bookworms. We had a lot of fun together. And uh, Danelle's mother planned her whole life. She chose her clothes. She chose the subjects she would study in school. Everything was planned for her. Her whole life was planned. So Danelle decided that, her mother rather, decided that she was going to be a cheerleader. And so Ms. Bingham said to me, I want you to come over here and start working out with Danelle because you're, both, you're going to go on the stage with her when the fall comes and you go back to school. 
you're going to try out with Danelle so she can become a cheerleader. So, uh, Carol, I want you to work with her and get her to be terrific. And so we were. We worked in that hot Texas sun, nothing like it, 105 in the daytime, you know. <clears throat> but we created all of these dance routines and these yells. We created all this stuff to keep our football team going. And um, I loved Janelle, so it was just fun to be with her and work on this. But about, we started in June, so about mid-July or so, I started having a lot of fun. And my father was strict on me. I had to be home at 10 o'clock, so I could never go out on a date or anything. And I started thinking, if I, if I got to go to a football game, I couldn't get home until 11, so I could have that free evening. So... I want to be a cheerleader, too. I want to win, <laughs> along with Janelle. So I remember we had hardwood floors, and I remember getting on the floor with my knees. I bowed down on the floor next to my bed, and I talked to the universal mind or to God, whoever, saying, listen, I never want anything so much in my whole life. I want to be a cheerleader, and uh, I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. There. I wasn't connecting. So I began to say, look, I promise I won't be stuck up like all the other cheerleaders are. I'll be the same person. I'll be friendly. And then I said, okay, I will, I will keep my grades up. I won't, I won't lose my grades. I will be honest, and I will take good care of my mother. And I finally said, okay, I will not disappear after dinner. I will even do the dishes with my, for my mother. Still nothing. I didn't feel anything. So I said, okay, bottom line, I will babysit my sister. Bang. There was this feeling like, okay, we have a deal. So I said, thank you. That's it. And I got in bed, and I knew in my heart that it was a fait complete. I knew this would happen. So I never doubted it. And uh, now the the truth of the matter is that at my school, it was a it was known that everybody had to vote for you. It was the loudest applause. The kids who could scream the, the most or stomp their feet the most, they got you elected because it was a uh, choice that the students had. They chose who they wanted. And I wasn't popular. I did everybody's homework. I didn't go out on the weekends or anything. So Danelle had spent the whole spring semester um, being a, a, as a PR campaign, telling everybody she was going to be running for cheerleader and getting a lot of votes and all that was needed. So if you really thought about it, I had no chance of winning. I was the shill just to help her. Anyway, I didn't let any of that enter my consciousness. I was going to win. No problem. So you have to fast forward, and we're sitting in the school auditorium, and it's packed, and all the kids are rowdy because this is the one time that they can go in the auditorium and be loud and noisy. Well, the president walked out, Principal Erla, and he said, um, for the first time ever, we've chosen the cheerleaders from Southern Methodist University to decide who's the best cheerleader, who will be 
the eight cheerleaders, four women, four men, and they will choose it. And everybody in the auditorium went crazy. They said, oh, no, you can't do that. And he said, watch me. (laughs) So he said, everybody get very quiet. Of course, we'll take into consideration who you vote for, but that's not the decision-making. And I became a cheerleader. Of course. That was the deal, Claire. Yeah. Well, you um, you knew it when you said that, and you you held on to that knowingness the entire time, not letting any outside influence change your your intention on that, and then it flowed. It's amazing how the universe works. You can't try to outthink it, and the hardest part of this manifesting or law of attraction is that you can't say, well, what if, or how is this going to work? The the left brain wants to know. This is impossible, Carol. I mean, they're not going to vote for you. You know you're not going to I could, that never, I I wouldn't allow that. uh, Because Mm -hmm. if I thought about it, I knew it was impossible. See, and this is where we lose out. We want something. We think about it, and we say, no, I I just couldn't do that. That wouldn't happen because of this, this, and this. And so we hold ourselves back, Claire. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you have this beautiful poem in your book, The Art of Manifesting, by Rajneet, and I'd like to share it. It really stands out. Sitting silently, doing nothing, Spring comes, and the grass grows by itself. This is actually called the art of bovi. Is that how you say it? Would you tell us about Beauvais. this? Bovay. <clears throat> I think Beauvais. it's Bovay. Monks practice that. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it takes a long time to get to the place where you can physically manifest everything. The most important thing to learn here is that go to the far ends and find someone who's doing it. These people do it uh, constantly as a way of survival. Then come back to reality and think about how can you make things happen in your life that you want. See, I have become a fan of Rajneesh while he was in India from reading his books. He was such a philosopher. He had such wonderful things to say. I always felt good when I read his work. And so I uh, had planned a trip to India and my friend uh, Judy Parker and I toured India together because I have um, a child that I was supporting in India and I wanted to take her to see the Taj Mahal and places so I had set up a, a trip and I put Rajneesh and his ashram uh, in the trip so that we could go there because I wanted to spend an evening sitting out in the warm Indian afternoon watching the sun go down listening to him talk it was a highlight of the mm-hmm. trip for me so when we get there we find that he had serious allergies and he could not stand perfumes or cigarettes, smoke, or uh, any. If you'd been smoking, you couldn't get in. And, in fact, he had two women, one on each side of you, that would sniff you 
to see how you smell because if you'd used any body powder or lotions, then it would be too much. You couldn't get in. So, okay, I said, now I stopped smoking for a whole day. And um, we get in line, and then I pass perfectly. And I never thought about Judy, but she'd use some smelly shampoo, and they wouldn't let her in. And it was fascinating. Uh, so I waved at her, but I wasn't going to miss my night with Rajneesh. And the point here again is I should not have gotten in. It should have been me they they refused. But I had that planned. In fact, that was one of the key. It was to see the Taj with my child and go to see Rajneesh and just be in his energy and find out what it was about him that was so special. And And it worked. I saw it, I felt it, I believed it, and I got in. And so it, uh, it's really important how you live your life. I think we are too hard on ourselves sometimes, Claire. Yes, that's true, yes. Well, one of the things that you are really adamant about is you say that we are manifesting daily and that our thoughts are actually things. And they're powerful, and we need to be aware of those thoughts and what we and and the thoughts that manifest. So, your story really adds to this, but there's more. So, would you expand on this a little more for us? Well, yes. All right. Let's say that you have a body electric. You know, your mind is electric. Actually, your thoughts are energy. They are alive. And we are living in a conscious universe, all right? This is proven. They're doing a lot of PSI experiments these days, and they are proving so many of the things that we've always been wondered, uh, wondering about, like the psychic, uh, when you get ESP and you know something's going to happen, or when someone you think about someone and they call you, all of these things uh, are, are natural. Uh, they're natural to us and not unusual. They're, we don't talk about it enough. If we talked more, we'd realize that this, this happens to all of us, and it is a natural thing. So um, what we want to do is recognize that we are very powerful. We're, I like to think of us as walking Wi-Fis. We're constantly sending things out. So if you can picture a universe where... All around you, every every inch of energy or space around you is teeming with energy, teeming with energy. If you and I were sitting three feet apart, the energy between us would be enough to boil all of the oceans on the earth. Now, that's proven. That's mathematically proven. That's how much energy there is in the quantum field, and that is what connects us to all the other planets. We're all connected through the quantum field. And this field is constantly recording everything that happens, every movement, every sound, every thought. So we, we have this electricity. We are electric beings. We are sending out thoughts. So let's pretend that what you're sending out is the same as if you were calling Amazon and saying, I want a size six uh, shoe and I want it in black, and I want it here in two days. Bang, that's it. Then you get what you order. 
So what if your thoughts were that powerful? Uh, Why not consider that they are? Try it for a month. And all of the thoughts that you send out recognize that those thoughts could be manifesting exactly what you want. It all starts in your thinking. It all starts with your thoughts, what you're sending out and what you're believing and what you're asking for because you're asking the universe, if you, if you back up and say, I'm living in a conscious universe, it hears my thoughts, it knows what I'm doing and thinking, then you have a very strong chance that you will be getting what you're sending out. So the, this is where the law of attraction comes in. And this is very important for us to start thinking about. We hear so much about it. So what really, you know, what is it and how does it work? Um, well, there's a guy named Rob Solomon. He's, uh, he's a mathematician. And I was reading him the other day, and he's saying that you've got to realize that the past is finished and the future is unformed, and they, they both have no existence in reality. The only reality is the now. And who does that sound like? Eckhart Tolle, right? Yeah. That sweet guy has been telling us this for years. Well, the ancient mm-hmm. religious doctrine talks of continuous creation, meaning that we are constantly creating our reality. We get up in the morning, we recreate this reality. And the conscious mind doesn't realize that it is accessing the quantum field, but it is constantly doing that. Uh, and then we have to remember uh, that conscious is really what brings things into being. And it only knows what the conscious mind tells it. So when you start working with the law of attraction, you have to realize how powerful the subconscious is and get the conscious to tell the subconscious that what you want already exists. And that's where the manifesting begins. That's where the power is. And Wallace Waddles in 1905, you know, he wrote so many wonderful books, The Power of of Being Rich, or everything that he wrote always said that the hardest thing that man had to do was to believe that what he wanted he already had, because that's the only way you can bring it into reality. You have to pretend you already have it. It's yours. And that means that it's not in the future, it's not tomorrow, it's not next week, it's now. You have to believe you've already got it and live your life accordingly. So uh, action can only reinforce uh, factors, you know, and you go, what you want to do is recognize that sending things to the universe is one thing. When you start working with the field that's all around you, you want to heighten your manifestation, you do that with emotions, and that is excitement, enthusiasm, passion, imagination. Uh, Those are keys to bringing your desire in even quicker. It's only the present. This instant is real, all right? So there is a solid theory underlying this practical application 
and you just have to escape from this feedback loop that the brain sets up. What you can't, you you won't. What's going to happen? What if? You have to stop that and just come down to the simple choice that what is it you want and how much do you want it? And that's where willpower plays a major role because how many times have you heard someone achieve something really great and people that know the person say, well, she willed it so she made it happen well of course that's what we're talking about this is the law of attraction Mm -hmm. right so when you are working with the law of attraction in simple terms how do you attract more of what you want and less of what you don't want right this is the key. So you have to pay close attention to what you're thinking. Thinking first. Uh, your thoughts become your words. All right? So it starts with your thoughts. And so let's say that you're a reading, uh, uh, that you're looking for a director of photography for your film. And you're reading some names. Oh, my gosh, look at Kirsten. Oh, gosh, she's so great. Oh, I should never take my film wait a minute, maybe if that's who you want, who is it you really want? You know, why can't you have what you want? This is where I come from. Why can't we have what we want or what we feel is right for us? It's always good when you want something to say, if it's for my higher good, uh, this is exactly what I want. And if it's for my highest good, uh, this is my plan. And uh, choose someone like that. Find the best DP. Find the best editor. You may find that you think, oh, there's, I can't afford that. Uh, there we go. We're, we're pulling ourselves back and shortening, cutting ourselves off from major success sometimes because we, uh, we just have blocks. So if you want the very best editor and the difference is, what, $500 a week and there's 10 weeks, 5000 what is that, 50000 whatever it is, it's a number. Put it on the budget and just keep going. Get that money because that's what's going to make your film, the, the award-winning film you know it can be. Uh, this is where we have to give ourselves a lot of freedom and go for what we want. And as long as you have that feeling that if it's the right thing, if it's the best thing for me, then I will have it and give that little thing to the universe so that um, if you don't get it, you know there's something better. That's a key. Yes. Yes. So you say that we came into this world with a goal, though, and that it's something we wanted to achieve in this lifetime when we came in. We may not remember it, but it's there inside of us waiting for discovery how does this fit with this whole picture well you know it's amazing that the science is talking about now i read this in dean radin's book where one of the things that is so inexplicable is children who are born and then they can talk about their past lives some of them bring their past lives in there was a young kid that was born and and he saw a movie he said oh there's george that was george raft he said i used to know george we used to hang out and he he knew a lot of the people as a kid he started talking about these actors saying he knew them and from another life right 
this is it. So I, I honestly believe that we do reincarnate, and I think that we come in uh, without that knowledge of who we were or what we had before because our focus is on this, this life. And, yes, we made a pact probably with ourselves on what it is we wanted to achieve in this lifetime. Either it was something to learn or something to to do or some gift for society. Because I honestly believe in our heart of hearts that we are here to nurture and support each other. That we are not here to compete, but to work with. This is one of uh, Stuart Wiles' great statements is that you have to get out of the competitive world into the creative world. Stop the competitive stuff. Get into the creative field and stay there and share and uh, nurture and support each other. This is what really works. And I've seen filmmakers do that and they just excel beyond all belief. So I think we came in with a goal, and the purpose now is, what was that goal? You know, we've got to find it. And now with the COVID-19, we more than ever need to find it because it could be as simple as we came in to support and nurture each other during this crisis. And if so, what is your part in this? Because now is the time for you to dig deep inside you and find out what it is that you really want to do with your life. It's it's a wonderful time in that you have some money. Usually they're helping you financially, but you certainly have time, extra time that you can get into the meditative state on a daily basis. I highly recommend this. Connect to the quantum field. Get relaxed. Start asking, what's the best thing for me? What's the important thing in my life I want to achieve? And if that is to be the world's greatest mother, to be the world's greatest wife, or the world's greatest sister, that's good. That would be an incredible achievement. Whatever you came in for, you need to find that and recognize it and achieve it. And it's all connected. So if that's what you came in for, whatever that is, then there are other parts that are waiting for that connection to be made as well as you uh, open up to w- what your part in that is. So yes. that makes perfect sense, Carol. Very well. Open to Very your well. higher it's- self. So there's a part mm-hmm. of you that knows it all. You just have to find that part. Yes. And sometimes it emerges in layers as well. And we just we keep discovering more and more layers of this. I've seen that happen. You believe that focus is a major key to success for us all as well. So why is focus so important? Well, I um, remember I was running three offices of close to 100 employees, and I had hired most of those people. I knew them personally. So I, I had a lot going on at every moment. And so meditation kept me centered, and uh, that's why I recommend it so much. But I realized that 
from just handling problems or running a business is a full-time job. Then you then you add on where am I going with this business? What is the future? And uh, that is another person's job actually. But when you have to do it all yourself, the only way to get it done is focus, focus, focus. And that found and for me, I found that that was uh, my greatest asset was to be focused on what it is I wanted to achieve, to be aware of that, to set out my goals and work towards them. And uh, goal setting is on my website, how to set your goals and how to achieve them. It's under resources and you go down and there's a, uh, I think it's a fourth tab down, it's like a class it's a recording where you can learn how to set your goals. This is the most important thing you want to do with your life. Set goals, meditate, uh, focus on your goals, and move forward. Warren Buffett and Bill Gates were being interviewed, and the gentleman asked them both to write down what was the one word that they could attribute to their success. And so what was that word, Claire? I guess it, that's going to be focus. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Absolutely. So here are two billionaires, and that's the one word that they individually came up with together because that is an asset. When you're able to focus on what you want, you go to the head of the class uh, in your life. You get it. You can get it because you take the focus You've got your goal set. You're focusing on your goals. You're using the law of attraction. You're using all of the information that you've learned about the conscious universe and how connected we are to each other. Uh, And you recognize the power of your mind. Once you get all of these things aligned, then your your life is a lot happier and and, uh, your direction is clear. I like the information that you give us on how to connect with the universe and to all living things. And so you have some real clear, I'm going to say it, focus on this. (laughs) (laughs) I know you can share. So please do. Well, see, let's go back to Ed Mitchell. Edgar Mitchell, what what a guy. I mean, we owe so much to him. Remember, he was uh he went to the moon on Apollo 14. He's quite he was quite a man. Uh he had a doctorate in astrophysics from MIT, uh and he plotted his path through NASA. He achieved that. He was over at at the Mojave Desert working with Chuck Yeager in that flying circus where they made planes do things that had never been designed to do. He's quite a quite a man. And so coming back from his Apollo mission, he had an epiphany. He had this feeling that came over him. It was a total knowing that we are all connected. He believed, he felt, and he realized that human minds were connected to each other uh, and everything else in this world and every other world. 
the intuitive in him accepted this, but the scientist wasn't able to do it. So he spent the next 25 years looking to get science to explain to him what on earth had happened. And and he has achieved that as of today. He definitely has through um, the noetic sciences, through the research that Dean Radin has done. Uh, now, he also, unbeknownst to everyone, <clears throat> he took uh, Ryan's Zinner cards out into space with him. Ryan had been running ESP experiments where he would put people in different rooms and one person would be looking at a card and the other person would be writing down what they thought that card was. And the cards had squares and circles and squiggly lines and there was nothing really special about it. It was just, can you send and receive information from one being to another? And the answer is yes, absolutely. And he, so he took some cards to space and at appointed times with uh, someone on earth, he was sending and they were receiving, I believe it was that way. And the results of his experiment were an incredible success. The odds showed it was uh, no doubt about it. It was not, it was much more accurate than could possibly have happened. So something was going on. He was communicating back to earth. So, the point is that distance really doesn't matter. When humans are talking to humans, we can pick it up no matter where you are. So he comes right. back and he decides that, wow, there is something going on here. So he starts getting involved with physicists. And uh, then he finds Hal Pudoff and says, uh, I hear you're working on uh, learning how about the quantum field. So what is this quantum field? And and then Hal began to really put his time into the existence of the quantum field. And to actually, he was uh, looking for another energy source. And Bill Church was financing Hal Putoff to find an energy source because of the oil crisis back in the 70s. That's when that started. So... Uh, they say that uh, for our universe to be stable, when, when all these subatomic particles are popping in and out of existence, this is called the zero-point field because fluctuations in the field are still detectable at temperatures of absolutely zero. And this is where mm. there is such unharnessed energy. Uh, Hal's calculations had showed that our universe is alive and we're living in what amounts to a sea of motion, a quantum sea of life. And if you go back to Aristotle, Claire, he was one of the first to say that space was, in fact, a background substance filled with things. And that's what um, Wallace Waddle said. He called it the formless stuff, right? So it's been mm -hmm. in our history it's been there, but no one has really put the time in to study it. So Except I think it's the field. When they talk about the Akashic records, I think it's the field, yeah. right? 
This is what accounts for what remains of the most mysterious forces, gravity. Howell decided that gravity is a byproduct of the field, and he's published theories about that, and I believe they may be accurate. But the government has listed zero-point energy research as item number three on the national critical issue list, and the research is still going on. So... It is a unifying concept of the of the universe, this field. And so really right. what you might say happened to Edgar Mitchell is that he connected. He went right into the field of and consciousness, and he recognized that there is a living consciousness on this planet, and he touched into it. And that is what we all want to do. And all I can tell you is this, from reading some of the physicists in Lynn McTaggart's book, The Field, you will find those who say that the brain is a receiving and storage mechanism. It is not just a storage mechanism. It is sending and receiving. The brain actually stores information in the quantum field. And it pulls it back out when you ask for it. When the days when you can't remember stuff, you're just having a bad connection to the field. So if you're this walking Wi-Fi, walking around, and you are constantly sending out information and thoughts, what are you bringing to yourself? Is what you have to start asking. You have to start paying attention to your yeah. thoughts and saying. Is that really what I want? No, no, I don't think so. (laughs) Here's what I want. (laughs) Yes, as you've talked about earlier, what are you focusing on? And what are you uh, moving your attention on that you believe as well? And, you know, I was joking when I said, of course, you you know, when you said no one's really doing this. And I said, well, of, of course, except for you. But the truth is, uh, there are so many people. There are so many wonderful people out there, in, just like you, that are really uh, not just exploring this, but allowing the information to reach as many people as possible through whatever means that is, whether it's the books, the videos, the the classes, etc. And there, there is a plethora of information out there. It's endless to support people in reaching into the field and working with this in positive ways. So um, I just want to thank you, Carol. I want to thank you for being one of those many uh, wonderful wisdom keepers out there who are sharing this information. My goodness, thank you, Claire. Uh, How kind of you. I want... started out to get my filmmakers to realize the power of their mind. <clears throat> Making and funding films is not easy, but it is a lot easier when you believe you can do it. When you have the power of your mind behind you, that puts you on a fast track. Yeah. And there are so <laughs> many stories of filmmakers who have talked about, you know, the, the ups and the downs, but they still got their films made with all of the challenges that came up Yes, and how they worked through that. Yes. So um, this is, this is 
this is just part two of your three-part series. <laughs> we have part three next week. So I want to remind everybody to tune in next week and hear part three. Carol, as always, thank you so much for all that you're doing. And uh, we will be back next week with more. Okay, Claire. Thank you very much, sweet. Lots of love. Lots of love. And be well, everyone. Okay. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice. Fair use successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.